Well, good morning. For those of us who have not had the privilege and the opportunity to formally meet, my name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here at CORE. And like Josh said just a few minutes ago, we are so incredibly excited that each and every one of you guys are here with us. As we arrive near the finish line with part six of this seven-part series that we have been in that we have been calling Win the Day. And throughout this entire series, we have revolved this series around this ridiculously simple premise. It's really more so a belief, a belief that we believe in every single one of our lives that 2023 could and should be the best year yet. And yet for many, if not all of us, here's where the roadblock enters the equation. That this isn't the first year in which we have set our sights on this year being better than any of the years in previous that we have been in places like this and heard promises like this before. That this isn't the first gimmick or the first series that's been presented to make 2023 or any year prior to this our best year yet. And that the, yet the reality that many of us have lived is this. Is that time and time again we find our lives and our circumstances falling short of any noticeable change and improvement year after year. And so for many of you, you sit there throughout this series, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Ben, what makes this year any different than all the rest? What is it in my life that's going to bring about any noticeable change and difference to make this year the best year yet? Because frankly, I'm tired of all of the promises and all of the empty gimmicks that come along with this thought of making this year any better than any of the rest. And I get it. You see, it's not that any of us in our lives find ourselves reverting back to normal every single February as the trend lies. That 75% of our New Year's resolutions have failed by February 1st. It's not that any of us revert back to normal because we like what normal feels like necessarily, or we're encapsulated by stress and we love the feeling of stress. And so in getting rid of stress, we just rather return back to it. That's not the case at all. But maybe the case for many of us is simply this, is that in our attempts to make every year a better year than the year before, we've never begun our years by changing the way we think about change. Because let's just get honest for a second. For every single one of us, change isn't easy, am I right? Change in any way, shape, or form is uncomfortable. That there is this desire inside of us somewhere along the way in our adult lives to just continue to live the status quo because that's what brings us comfort and safety and security. And yet the reality is, is that for every single one of us, when we begin to think about implementing change for something better, where the rubber meets the road in all lives is that it becomes overwhelmingly uncomfortable, that not only is change hard, but thinking about continuing forward with that change for the next year or two or five years of my life to begin to see the desired results begins to feel downright impossible begins to look overwhelming in every single one of our stories. And that's usually the place in which we find ourselves throwing in the towel on changing to such a point that this year could be better or different than any of the rest. 
And it's the reason why we've made this one question the central focus of every single week of this series. It's a question that we just keep coming back to because I believe with all of my heart that this one question, if we were capable of waking up every single day and asking ourselves this question, it could change our lives, our 2023, our future in a drastic way. And it's this. Can you simply do it for a day? Can you do it for a day? Because when we reduce our goals, our habits, and even our dreams into day-tight compartments, all of a sudden those things become accomplishable. Am I right? I might not believe I can implement that change for the next year or two or five, but if you ask me if I can simply implement that change into my life for one day, it becomes much more manageable. It becomes much more doable for every single one of us. And here's what I want us to understand. Did you know that every winning streak always began with one? To just do it for today. To just win the day. To just do the right thing, the best thing, for one day and allow tomorrow to worry about itself. But every winning streak of all lives must always begin with one. Must always begin with today. And in doing the right thing, the best thing for today, we kicked off this series several weeks ago by talking about this concept of being able to win the day always begins with our ability to change our thought process and what's happening between our ears. Because what you may not know is this, is that the Cleveland Clinic did a study, and what they found was this, is that of the 60,000 thoughts that fire across the synapses of our brain as human beings every single day, for the average human being, 80% of those thoughts are negative. You cannot win the day if that continues to be a habit and a trend in all lives and the way in which we think. And so in order for us to change our lives and change the way we act, we must first change the way we think. And then we spent two weeks talking about habit formation and what it looks like to deconstruct and reconstruct the habits we have in our lives to begin to produce healthier habits every single day. And then... We spent two weeks in the uncomfortable place of risk tolerance. And this reality that we must grasp onto in every single one of our lives, that oftentimes the dreams and desires we have for our lives, the purpose that God has for your life and for my life, often lie on the other side of risk. And it requires us to believe and buy into and hang on to this reality that is true for every single one of us. That the pain of staying the same is always greater than the pain of change. The pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. And until you realize that, you will continue to live every year from here until the end of the time you have left on this earth, just sticking to the status quo and wondering why every single year never seems to get any better than the last. But today, we continue this series by talking about something ridiculously imperative to our growth, our progress, and us reaching the life we want for our future. 
but even more so than it being imperative to our growth and our pursuit of our dreams and our desires, this morning may be one of the most practical ones, if that's possible, this entire series, if you're anything like me, has been ridiculously practical. But this morning may be the most practical part of this series. Because this morning, we're going to talk about the concept of time management. I heard a story about a college professor at the University of Pennsylvania who was giving a lecture in a lecture hall in front of a large group of students. And right in the middle of his lecture, he turned to a student in the front row and posed this question. Son, how long have you lived? And to that, the student looked back at him and gave the answer that you and I would give. He responded back with his age. The professor looked at the young man and he said, no, 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 no. That's how long your heart has been pumping blood. I asked, how long have you really lived? He proceeded to tell the class a story of his fourth grade class taking a field trip to the Empire State Building. At that time, it was the largest, tallest building in the world. And as they rode the elevator up to the top floor of the Empire State Building and stepped out onto the observation deck, in that moment, he could feel all of these emotions converging on him. The nervousness and fear that comes from being at that height. While at the same time, the exhilaration of looking out from this observation deck over the city of the tallest building in the world that all of these things were coursing through his veins and he could literally feel his heart pounding out of his chest. And he looked at his students and he said, in that moment, I knew what it felt like to be fully alive. And then he turned to his students again and he said, let me ask you again. How long have you really lived? And you see, this morning, I want to start with two questions for you. Number one, what is your age? Number two, how long have you really lived? Because it's ridiculously easy in our lives to calculate your age, but far more difficult to quantify the quality of your life. And the reason for that is because of this reality, that time in our lives is measured in minutes, but life is measured in moments. That time is measured in minutes, but life is measured in moments. When is the last time that you have managed your time so intentionally that you were able to say, in these moments, I was fully living. In these moments, I knew what it felt like to be fully alive. Because one of the things that we like to say around here is this, is that you never end up where you want to go on accident. You never drift in the right direction. It always requires intentionality for you to move yourself from where you are to where you want to be. And one of the most practical ways that we can move ourselves from where we are to where we want to be is to become incredible managers of the time that we have been given on this earth. If you're a Christ follower, we've talked about this in weeks past. For us to view our time, the resource of the time we've been given, as stewardship as a stewardship issue in our lives, that we are becoming great stewards, great managers of what has been entrusted to us from our God. And dare I say this, y'all, that I believe with all of my heart that time management is not just a practical thing, it is a spiritual thing. 
hello, y'all okay? That when it comes to managing the time we have been given, there is a direct correlation between that and our relationship with our Heavenly Father. A direct correlation in the seriousness we see in our relationship between us and a Savior who came and sacrificed it all on a cross for us and our future and the plan he has for us and the purpose he wants us to discover in every single one of our lives. But in order for us to become people who are capable of managing our time ridiculously well, there are a few things that we must collectively understand about time. And so this morning, I want to take us on a quick journey to kick us off on a few truths around time that reset our perspective in the right direction that allow us to become better managers of our time. The first truth is this, is that time is simply a human construct. Our view of time is something that has been constructed, and frankly, if you're anything like me, even distorted by humanity for thousands of years. See, thousands of years ago, each and every one of us were created in the image of God, and from that day until now, we've been attempting to recreate God in our image. That we've been attempting to take this thing called time and to see it through our lens, to see it through our human capabilities. And typically, the trap that I fall into is that oftentimes, I tend to purely see time through the lens of minutes given to me here on this earth. Anybody else with me? That the lens in which I view my time is simply through the confines of the time that I've been granted on this earth. And the problem with that viewpoint when it comes to our construction of time is that our creator actually views time in a much different way. Is that our creator views time very differently than simply through the limited perspective of the time we've been given here on earth. Why do I believe that? Well, because this guy named Peter, a guy who followed Jesus around for three years of his life and ministry, and then before Jesus was to leave this earth, he looked at this guy named Peter, and he said, oh yeah, Peter, on this rock, on you, I will build my local church. What we're doing now is because of the first steps of a guy named Peter to walk out in faithfulness in a world that absolutely hated him and hated Christianity. And as he looked at his following of Jesus and what Jesus us saw and believed and modeled about time. This is what Peter had to say. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, he writes this. For a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. You see, what Peter is trying to convey in this reality is that for many of us, we choose to see our time as if it is simply limited to our time here on earth. We make so many of our decisions based on what could bring the most comfort and safety and security and acceptance and recognition and happiness with the little bit of time we've been granted on this earth. We make decisions based about our time upon the human construct that my life is somehow compartmentalized. 
compartmentalized into two compartments. The time that I've been given on this earth and then everything that happens after. And yet the problem with that is this, is that when we view our time through that lens, what we miss is that our God does not view our time as two separate compartments. What happens on this earth and then what happens in eternity after this earth. Our God wanted you and me to understand that eternity was a concept that was made to begin right now. That if you follow Jesus, the moment in which you enter into a relationship with Jesus, your eternity officially begins. And what that means is this, is that every decision you make with your time has eternal consequences. Every decision you make with your kids' time has eternal consequences. Y'all okay? The choices we make and how we use our time and what we value with our time isn't just about what happens on this earth, but it is something that ultimately impacts our eternity and the eternity we are living from this moment forward and the impact we have from this moment forward forward. And until we understand that reality, we will keep using our time the same way we've always used it. Secondly, we must understand that we live forward, but God is working backward. What does that mean? Well, let me give you some context. There's this incredible passage that Paul writes in his letter to the church in Ephesus. Maybe it's one that you've heard before, but it carries so much power and so much weight in our lives. Here's what Paul writes. For we are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. The pinnacle of his creation that when God looks at you, he sees the greatest of everything he has formed in his hands. Better than the stars, better than the moon, better than the sun, better than any creature living or not on this earth. You are his masterpiece. And then Paul goes on to write this. For he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things. And if you're taking notes, maybe this is where you underlined. He planned for us long Ago. You see, what Paul is revealing in this passage is this, is that God ultimately has a plan for your life, for your future, for your eternity. He created you on purpose, for a purpose. And hear me on this, no matter what you're going through, what your circumstances look like, how far gone you may feel, what I believe with all of my heart about your story is this. Is that the plan God has for your life is a great one. He created you with an incredibly unique purpose that only you carry. And that purpose that he created you for is one that only you can carry out with an impact that only you can make in this world. And our God wants nothing more than for you to realize and live out that plan for your life. We have a God who is continuously working backward from that plan. 
He created a plan and a purpose for your life as you were created in your mother's womb. And as we live forward, our God is moving backward towards us with that plan, trying to get us to realize and reach that plan, course correcting in the midst of my mistakes. When I look at my God and say, God, no, 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 I got this. I know better than you. I know how my life should turn out. I'll call you when I need rescuing. But if you don't mind just kind of staying out of this for a little while, I'll take back control. Control. Our God who course corrects in the middle of, no, 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 I know best. That every day takes the hurt and the brokenness and the bad in our lives and is trying to reconfigure it to make something incredible out of our life and our future. God wants you to really live and has a plan to try to get you to that place. He wants you to experience a rich and satisfying life, life into the full. And he's moving backward towards us to get us to understand and chase that plan with our lives. And finally, while we must realize that time is a human construct, And while we live forward, God is moving backwards with our plan and our purpose for our life and our future. The last thing that we must understand is that everything is created twice. And no, y'all, this isn't some multidimensional thing. I'm not going all Ant-Man and Wasp and the quantum mania on you. It's this reality that in our lives, everything was first created as a thought and then created again when we became courageous enough to live out that thought or that vision in our lives. You see, as much as I believe that God has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of you, what I also believe is this, is that God is attempting to give you a picture, to give you a vision of what that future looks like. And then he's attempting to instill this level of courage in you that propels you to chase that vision with your life. And here's what I believe is so incredible about our God. It's a hope that I cling to with every fiber of my being, a hope that I'm clinging to right here, right now, in the midst of my life, my circumstances, our collective circumstances. And it speaks to the heart of who our God is. And it's this. That when God gives a vision, he always provides provision. That one's free, y'all. When God gives a vision, he always provides provision. And I know you want a leader who stands up here in the midst of transition, in the midst of giant faith leaps, and tells you everything is good and everything's going to be all right. And I'm confident we've got all of our ducks in a row. But the reality, the fact of the matter is that's not true at all. You see, here we stand as an organization, as a church, as a body, trekking into something that, quite frankly, y'all, springs up a whole lot of fear inside of me on a daily basis. Because there are a lot of parts of this journey that just don't make sense. That we're just not sure how it's going to work out. And we're not sure if we're going to make it financially. And everything's going to be okay. And all the money is going to be there. It doesn't make sense for us to be taking this giant leap and all the uncertainty 
that comes with it of going from 6,000 square feet to 37,000 square feet. And y'all, that's just our facility. That's not talking about at the exact same time launching a community outreach center of a building that's also 37,000 square feet and pushing our chips to the middle to reach and love and care for people in our world who have no one standing in the gap for them right here in our city. And y'all, every single day there are fears that rise up inside of me that this is all going to come crashing to the ground and it's all going to be my fault and I don't know how this is going to work and I don't know if we're going to make it financially and yet I cling to this hope and remind myself of this hope every single day. When God gives a vision, we have a God who is big enough to always provide provision. That is who our God is. It's who he's always been, who he always will be. And you see, we live at the intersection of two realities in every single one of our stories right here, right now. That the faithfulness of God is pursuing us from our past. That we have a God who has won every battle, a God who is only ever good, a God who only sees victory in the midst of the battles, a God who has no rival, a God who has no equal. You know, those songs that we sang, they are full of truth. They're not just meaningless words on a screen. They speak truth into every single one of our stories, into every single one of our circumstances. We have a God who's constantly trying to remind us and pursue us with his faithfulness from our past, while at the same time, his sovereignty is setting up our future. That we have a God who always was, is, and will be. A God who is sovereign to carry out and to see through his plan for all life and for this world, for our eternities, for our future, for our 2023s. And when we recognize those two realities colliding in our lives, what it presses forth into every single one of us is this truth that you were made for such a time as this. That when we recognize the collision of God's faithfulness and God's sovereignty in every single one of our stories, it produces a confidence in us that you were created for such a time as this. No matter what your circumstances look like or the hardship that you are passing through, that you can get through this. It isn't too big for you because it isn't too big for your God. That no matter how broken the world gets, that you can endure it and set an example through it and be a peacemaker and a tone setter throughout the midst of however broken this world feels. So when we recognize that those two realities are converging in our story, we recognize that we were created to make an impact like only we can right here, right now in 2023. And can I just say this real quick, y'all? I promise, 10 seconds sideways. The world in which we live is no worse off than what it has ever been. Is that men and women of the faith have walked through difficult circumstances and brokenness in our world that parallels, or dare I say, has been greater throughout our world all throughout the history of time. 
And yet we have a God whose sovereignty still rings true in the midst of all of that and is still calling us, compelling us to be courageous and to step out and to use our time to the best of our ability to make a difference. You want your 2023 to be different? This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where things must change. See, Paul writes this later on in that exact same letter to the church in Ephesus to compel you and I to look and use our time differently. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. That when it comes to the management of your time, that's what Paul is talking about here. This Greek word, right smack dab in the middle, this verb in make the most of every opportunity is this Greek verb, kairos. And what Paul is directly talking about with this word kairos is the essence of time management in our lives. Don't live like fools with your time, but use your time wisely. When you do that, you will be capable of making the most of every opportunity that is presented to you on this day. To win today with your time. And when it comes to time management, y'all, let's be crystal clear about something. You don't find time. You don't find time to do the right things, to do the best things. You make time. Time is the great equalizer. There is no human being who gets any more seconds, minutes, or hours in a day than any other. We all were granted the exact same amount. And the people who make great impacts, do great things, do the right things, best things with their life, find a way to make Time to do the right things. Find a way to make time to do the right things. And making time for the right things or becoming great at time management really hinges on two simple steps. The first is this, that we must become people who are able to curse the barren fig tree. And I'm sorry, y'all, I went a little Jesus analogy on y'all, but I'll break it down for you. You see, throughout Jesus' ministry here on this earth, every miracle that he ever performed was a life-giving miracle, except for one. There was a day where Jesus was walking along, and he came upon a barren fig tree, a fig tree that was producing no fruit. And as he saw this fruitless fig tree, Jesus cursed the fig tree, and it shriveled up and died. And in that moment, Jesus was setting this incredible precedent for you and for me. That in all lives, there are times where we must recognize that there are things in our lives that aren't producing fruit, but they're taking up space, and we just need to kill it. Hello. Y'all okay? And the reason that I ask that is because what I'm willing to bet is that your life isn't too much different than mine. That just like me, you have some barren fig trees in your life. And there comes a moment 
where we all have things that are taking up space within our schedules, within our thought process, but they aren't producing any fruit. And we have to make a decision with our lives and with our time management to say, it's about time that I kill that. It's about time that I push that to the side and get rid of it so that I can fill that space, that time in my life, in my day. Time is the great equalizer. I'm not finding any more. I get what I get. That I'm going to use that time a little bit better and stop wasting it on things that are just simply wasting space and not producing fruit. See, check this out. Studies show that the average American spends 142 minutes per day on social media. Do you realize what that means? If we have 16 hours out of every day that we are awake, 142 minutes is about 15% of our waking hours on this earth. And unless you are a content creator or social media influencer, does 15% of our waking hours really constitute a great usage of our time? Is it really producing the fruit that is worth the amount, 15% of our waking hours? Is it really producing enough fruit to constitute us giving up that amount of time to flicking through our social media page? And hear me on this, y'all. I'm not saying, oh, social media is from the devil. You shouldn't have that. I'm not mama from the water boy, all right, y'all? But there is this reality in which sometimes we need to step back and recognize, like, I still want to feel a connection with people. I still like knowing what's going on with their time. But are there are 22 minutes of that 142 that are a barren fig tree. Are there 42 minutes of that? Are there 62 minutes of that? Are there 82 minutes of that that's a barren fig tree that I need to look at? How do I kill some of that in my life to find time, make time to do better things, things that actually produce fruit in my life. Another way to curse the barren fig tree, we talked about this a few weeks ago, is for us to habit stack. It's for us to look at things in our life that aren't necessarily producing fruit, but they're things we have to do on a daily basis. And then to habit stack and to put things conjoining with those moments of our lives, and I'll give you an example here in a minute if you're like, what in the world is he talking about, that allow us to produce fruit and grow in those moments where there's things we have to do, but they're not exactly fruit-producing things in our life. For example, every single one of us spend X amount of time every single day in the bathroom. Put a book in the bathroom, and you'd read a book a month. Some of y'all have greater potential than that. You find a way that we talked about this a few weeks ago as well. Every single day, a mindless thing that many of us do is we have to drive to work every day and we have a commute. It may only be 10 minutes, it may be 15 minutes, but, but every single week, right, the Amazon boxes just keep showing up at the door. And if you just slick, select Amazon delivery day, you get like $1.50 credits. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. Come on, y'all, you know what I'm talking about. And you simply use that credit and you download some audiobooks. And on your commute to work, you spend that time. Like, I have to do this. It's mindless. It's not really producing fruit. But I'm going to habit stack, and I'm going to do something in that time that's going to grow me and produce some fruit. I exercise. Great habit, but kind of a mindless habit every day as I'm running on the treadmill or pedaling the bike. That I'm going to listen to a podcast over that time, and I'm going to habit stack to allow me to produce some fruit in some of these areas of my life. 
And then I'm going to finish with this. When we curse the barren fig tree, this is kind of the last step with curse the barren fig tree. When we curse the barren fig tree and we push some of those things that aren't producing fruit out of our lives, here's what we have to do. And this is so important. This is imperative, y'all. We have to then create some boundaries that keep those things from slipping back into our lives. Because they'll fight to come back in. You've done them for so long that it'll be second nature for them just to creep back in over time and to go back to normal. But we have to set up boundaries and we have to say, okay, here's some things I'm putting into place to make sure that it doesn't go over this amount of time. Like, I'm going to do what I do with my kids and I'm all set on my phone or my tablet. Like, this is the maximum amount of time per day that I'm allowed to be on the internet or whatever that may be to limit my amount of time on social media. When I go on a date with my spouse, I want to focus on them and not on my phone. So we're going to do no phone dates or whatever that looks like to make sure that there are boundaries in place so that the barren fig trees don't creep back in. Then secondly, after we curse the barren fig tree, then this one's simple. Do the math. And here's what that means. You take a survey of your life and you begin to look for the things that produce the greatest return on investment with your time. These are the things that are producing the most fruit in my life. These are the most important things. And so what I'm going to do is with the barren fig trees that I've now cut out of my time management, I'm going to take some of that time and I'm going to allot it to the things in my life that are actually producing the most fruit. I did the math. And these are the things that are most important. These are the things that are helping me grow most. And so I'm going to spend a little bit more time over here. This week I was convicted by this. Last weekend here at CORE, 245 of y'all. Do you know what that means? Over the course of a 40-minute message, that means there is a collective investment from all of us simply during our time in God's Word and my time to communicate with you all and have a conversation. That is over 9,800 minutes of collective investment. In one morning, just in the message segment of our services, that is almost seven days of collective investment. And here's how I was convicted. If that is something that has the potential to produce that much fruit, that is something I better be ridiculously, ridiculously intentional about preparing for and investing time in for all of our sakes. That we do the math and we see the things that have the potential to produce the most fruit and then we say, I'm going to get serious. I'm going to invest some more time there. I'm going to prepare for this or put all of my chips into that because that is a large crop producing part of my life. And so I give more to it and I've done the math for it. You want to make time for the best stuff? Curse the barren fig tree. Do the math. But if you really want to make the most of every opportunity, I'm going to finish with two things. And hear me on this, y'all. I'm sparing you. Because I came up with about a dozen or more, but I wanted to simplify it down to just two. That I believe when we leave here at 11.45 this afternoon, that these are things that we can take with us, grab onto, and implement right here, right now, today, to just start somewhere, to just win this day, February 12th, or if you're listening online, 13th, 14th, 15th, whatever day it may be, to just win this day. That if we want to wind the clock and become great at managing our time, here's the two foundational pieces that I found. The first is this. We have to become people, individuals, spouses, parents, that use our time in such a way that we are able with our time to recognize 
teachable moments. And this is twofold. Number one, that we are able to separate ourselves from our emotions. In the moments of our lives where circumstances are tough, things aren't going our way, that we are capable of stepping back and being taught by those moments in our lives. But then secondly, we use our time in such a way that we are teaching other people. If you're a parent in the room, this one is pretty straightforward, right? You have little ones in your life who are taking example from you, taking their cues from you, watching you. But here's what I believe about every single one of us. Even if you aren't a parent or your kids are out of the house and you're like, that was a long time ago, every single one of us in this room have our own circles of influence. We all have people in some area of our lives who are watching us. And they are watching how you manage and use Use your time. What are the most important things to you? What are you communicating with your time management about what you believe about life and eternity? Recognize those teachable moments. And there was nobody better at this than Jesus. Fittingly so. The guy we follow better be good at this. He was incredible at this. In the moment where the law dictated, yeah, that's what should have happened, the Pharisees bring a woman who had been caught in adultery to his feet and say, the law says we should stone her. That's the right thing to do. Let's just kill her here. She's not worth a whole lot. And while Jesus could have stepped back and separated himself from controversy, you know what he did? He stepped forward and he recognized the teachable moment. As they demanded an answer in John chapter 8, this is how the story ends. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, let's stone her. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And some scholars believe in that moment he was writing in the dust the sins of all the people who had brought that lady and threw at her feet and were like demanding because of her sin we stone her that he was writing in the dust all of their sins. And when the accusers heard what Jesus said, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, This is the guy we're following. Take this to heart. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Grace giver, peacemaker, tone setter. He recognized teachable moments. The one that is absolutely unbelievable to me is in the middle of his greatest pain and agony. Jesus was able to separate himself from his own hurt, his own circumstances, and to be about everybody else, to set this example and to see the teachable moments. He did it three times on a cross. Who could do that? Hung up by nails through his wrist and his feet, grasping for breath. He was able to look for teachable moments and care for everybody else. He did it with the soldiers. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. He did it with his mother. Now, here she's going to be sunless, no one to care for her. John, now my mom is your mom. And Mary, now John is your son. He did it with the criminal beside him. Because of your belief in me, all of your past and all the mistakes are wiped away. You will be with me in paradise today. 
He was capable of loving people and seeing the teachable moments, separating himself from his emotions with his time and being able to teach those around him with the way in which he used his time and the way in which he cared for others first. We have to be people who see our time as a constant teachable moment. And then secondly, we have to accumulate experiences. Here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. Then he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed, for life is not measured by how much you own. You see, if you're anything like me, there is this pull inside of every single one of us to live our lives on a pursuit of constant accumulation. And this may be the first and the only time you're going to hear me say this from stage, so lean in, y'all. Maybe that isn't such a bad thing. Maybe our pursuit of accumulation isn't the thing that's hampering us from using our time well and living a better life from this day forward. But maybe it's the things that we're attempting to accumulate. See, Jesus makes it clear. So often in all lives, our pursuit is for us to accumulate possessions. Jesus says, don't accumulate possessions, accumulate experiences. Invest in those who are most important to you, and those are the things you will remember forever. Just last week, we were having lunch together as a staff, and Josh and Des were asking Krista and I what our, our favorite or most memorable date ever was. And we had different answers. I went back to one of our first dates where we'd gone to an Indians game together, and hers was our honeymoon. But the reality is, is that in every memory I recollect and, and every incredible experience of my life that I look at within my most important relationships, do you know what my greatest memories are? They are not the day we signed the deed for our house. They're not the new car we got, not the raises we got at our job. Every incredibly memorable moment of my life always rides on the tails of accumulating experiences with those that I love, spending time with and investing myself fully into the people who are most important in my life. That that's what it looks like to accumulate a life that has managed its time well. And I know this has been said many times to many of us, but one of these times I'll actually listen. Stop living your life to accumulate more stuff. The boat won't be the greatest memory of your life. The acquisition of that $70,000 car won't be the greatest memory of your life. Missing out on accumulating experiences with those you love most will be some of your greatest regrets. Hello. Y'all okay? Let me just finish with this. What I believe with all of my heart is that the greatest experiences we will have in our lives as Jesus followers will be the experiences we accumulate following in the footsteps of Jesus. Y'all, I'm banking on it. That when we get to the other side of this incredibly difficult season that we're passing through, there's going to be some incredible stories of it being evident 
that God's faithfulness and God's sovereignty was converging in my life and in my marriage and in our family and in our organization and our church for the sake of our city. It's hard to see right now, but we hold tightly to the greatest experiences we will have in all life will always be the experiences we accumulate following in the footsteps of this guy named Jesus. What does it look like to rearrange our lives around that? If you want to live your life in a better direction, you have to manage your minutes. You have to manage your moments. So let me ask you this question one last time. How long have you really lived? The way you manage your time could lead a completely different life. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, God, we thank you for what a great God you are. Week in and week out, I find myself coming back to this exact same prayer for us. This prayer of being incredibly grateful that you are a God who wants what's best for us. To experience life and experience it to the full. To experience eternity from this moment forward. And every single one of our stories. And yet you're a God who in an unbelievable way doesn't leave us to figure it out on our own. A God who gave us an example. A God who gives us cues through your word of what it looks like to be able to pursue that purpose you've given each of us. But also a God who requires us to take courageous steps in order to realize that vision, that dream, that purpose for our lives. And so God, my prayer continues to be this. For every single one of us, give us incredible courage to become great managers of our time, to see time management as not just a practical thing, but a spiritual thing, and to start using our time differently so that we can start living our lives differently. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.